Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are listening to this latest episode of Edie's Susty Talks. If you're new here, I'm Edie's Deputy Editor, Sarah, and Susty Talks are our short but sweet one-on-one audio interviews with sustainable business leaders from across the world. We launched these in early 2020, designed to keep us all a little bit more connected and a bit more informed. For this episode, I'm delighted to be making an international call to Christine Hall, who's the Vice President of R&D at the Hair Care Division within the Estee Lauder companies, who is here to walk me through the importance of R&D and product formulation in achieving ambitious corporate sustainability goals. Christine, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank I'm you. Good here. Yeah. No, thank you for coming on. It's always a treat to speak to an R&D leader. I'm usually on the line with the sustainability manager or the energy manager. So it's great to have leaders from other business functions on this series. Um, Christine, to start us off, for those who are listening that are unfamiliar with the Estee Lauder companies, it'd be great to have a quick introduction and also to hear a little bit more about your career and your role, please. Well, the Estee Lauder Companies is a broad um, range of brands, everything from Estee Lauder to Clinique, Origins, Tom Ford, Fragrances, Joe Malone, uh, Fragrances and Candles, to my specialty, which is Aveda and Bumble and Bumble Hair Care. Uh, so we focus on personal care products in the prestige beauty area. I've been um, in research and development roles for a little over 30 years, um, and I've been with Estee Lauder for the last nine. I love working on beauty care products because I love how they make people feel. I love the excitement that they bring people, and I love being able to visit a store and actually see my product on shelf. I'm uh, focused on hair care at Estee Lauder, so the two brands we have are Aveda and Bumble and Bumble, and I uh, lead the R&D team that creates new products for hair care. I'm also what's called site lead uh, for the Blaine, Minnesota R&D site, um, which focuses on hair care, but also supports uh, percent naturally derived and other sustainability efforts for the company. Great. Thank you very much for that introduction. As you've mentioned, the Estee Lauder companies is such a big company. There are loads of people working on R&D. I know from experience that there are so many working on sustainability, too. So I wanted to know to what extent is it necessary for your brands to change product formulation and other R&D related things to achieve environmental goals? So We've previously had the companies on to talk about the goals that are in place for 2030 for topics including carbon and waste management and how these are linked to sourcing more sustainable ingredients. So new um, sustainability efforts, methods are critical to achieving those goals and uh, new and innovative products are a huge part of that. We develop new products and launch them every year. So that really gives us the opportunity to drive changes in our products and in the industry and Estee Lauder as a whole. It's a source of um, uh, drive for uh, our, our efforts. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that this is an industry-wide trend, but for Essay Lauder companies specifically, do you think you could get where you need to be in terms of, for example, waste or carbon by 2030 without R&D on the product formulation side? No, I don't think so. I think we have to make changes to products, and some of that is just creating totally new products that surprise people and reset the sort of the limits of what we can do. Yeah, as you say, beauty is really one of those product categories where new things seem to come out every week. You go into the store and there's always something different to try or something different that's on promotion. Often some of these things have a sustainability angle, but sometimes there's not. Um, So it'd be great to hear about some of the changes you and your team have been making um, in recent months or weeks that have had those environmental benefits in terms of product footprint. So uh, definitely... Uh, sustainability has been a huge uh, focus area for uh, for our new launches. A good example of that is Aveda's Botanical Repair. Um, Botanical Repair uh, contains a very high percent nationally derived. Our minimum is 94%. And that means that we are very focused on uh, using raw materials that are from sustainable um, materials. Uh, sources as opposed to petrochemical. Um, We also have uh, stopped using silicone in Aveda's new hair care launches uh, due to both its high um, energy requirements as well as its um, persistence in the environment. Botanical repair is an amazing example of that where we've managed to achieve bond building and repair without the use of uh, synthetic actives or silicone to get that silky feel that people love. Another example would actually be Estee Lauder's new nutritious lineup, uh, which is also very high percent naturally derived and focused on using plant-derived ingredients to achieve the new skincare benefits. In both cases, um, we are pushing our sustainability efforts by using what we call the green score. This is an internal uh, calculator, which allows us to assess each raw material's uh, impact on the environment and human health and pick the best of our options. Um, Each raw material has its own green score, so you can look, for example, at two conditioning actives for a hair care product, and if they are the same from a benefit perspective, you can choose the better of the two or ten for their sustainability um, aspects. And then that then leads to a score for the finished product. And we use that score to track how each new launch drives us higher in our um, green score and focus on sustainability. That's so interesting on scoring. We speak to a lot of sustainability professionals who worry about whether making um, one change would improve a score in one metric, but decrease the score elsewhere. So I'm sure that having this kind of life cycle tool must be a a big help. But beyond those numbers, I wanted to ask for those of us that don't work in R&D, what are the practicalities of changing a product formula? What happens as a knock-on effect in terms of, for example, supply chains or packaging? 
a lot of times um, improving the green score means working with our suppliers to um, improve their carbon footprint or to uh, give us more information on what they're doing and how they're doing it. It can also mean actually switching suppliers, finding a new one that has a better footprint or a better um, uh, starting material source. Um, and that means, you know, the green score actually lives from the moment we identify a raw material to um, that uh that formulation um, decision and, and creating the, the final product. Um, it's, a, it's very all-encompassing, and it does actually require our suppliers to be very transparent with us. Uh, but if, you, if a supplier doesn't share something, we assume their grade is zero. Uh, so uh, that means that you know, the green score actually emphasizes suppliers that are willing to share and uh, both, you know, what they're doing right and what they're working on. That makes sense. I can only imagine how important it is to speak with supply chains on green chemistry, because you can do so much in-house, but you have to procure those ingredients. I also wanted to cover engaging with consumers on this topic, seeing as we've covered um, suppliers and in-house. There are so many different beauty products options like we've talked about, and there are so many different claims that beauty brands make about sustainability. And on top of that, there's only so much information you can fit on your packaging about carbon, waste, water, natural ingredients. Um, so I wanted to get your views on how beauty brands can cut through that noise and get better to talking and get better at talking to customers and the general public about green chemistry. It, there's a lot of noise and there are a lot of people making claims, a lot of and a lot of people trying to do the right thing and trying to talk about it. And that can um, that can make it hard to make choices and to understand what's uh, you know, what's real effort. I think the it starts with being sure that you have a rigorous and um, thoughtful approach to it in the first place. Uh, that's why um, we at Estee Lauder have created a green chemistry and scientific advisory board um, with multiple outside um, scientists across China, Europe, North America, Latin America, who can look at what we're doing, make recommendations, and help us get better with each iteration of the green score. And then, um, then we trained ourselves, right? So we reached out to every uh, formulator in Estee Lauder across multiple sites and train them on both the green score and green formulation design um, so that they can make the best choices. And now we're starting to reach out and um, share what we're doing um, with uh, third parties, with consumers. Uh, for example, the mayor just recently referenced uh, how we approach formulating um, th with the green score on the work for the new La Mer treatment lotion so that consumers know how we're approaching our formulation. Uh, we hope by being more transparent in sharing with consumers our approach and um, some of the rigor we put into uh, you know, our formulation approach and how we score raw materials, will eventually re result in less noise and more sense in market.
For sure, you're always going to get some customers who just want a score out of 10, some who are really curious and want the full information and the full methodology. So I totally understand the importance of listing multiple levels of information there. Well, and the, the other piece is that the green score is intended to be a tool so that every iteration of um, a new product gets better. Um, but it doesn't mean that all products are the same. So, for example, a, um, a overnight hair serum is inherently going to score higher than, let's say, a hairspray that has alcohol in it. Um, they both serve, you know, a consumer purpose. You don't, you want your hairspray to dry quickly. And so it needs to have some alcohol in it, but that doesn't mean that each hairspray can't be better. And that doesn't mean that each each serum can't be better. But we don't compare one to the other because the green score makes more sense if you look within a category of, of product. That makes complete sense. As we've seen through things like the Green Claims Code here in the UK, it's really important to always have the data to back your claims up. And as you point out, it's always really important to use your first saturation to learn what to do better with the next product. I know we don't have much time left on our call today, but I think I'd be remiss to wrap up without spending some time looking to the future. So are there any other exciting green chemistry products in the pipeline for you and your team that you're able to give us a little taster of um, at the moment? Well, from a um, from a future standpoint, I will tell you that we are actually working on additions to our green score so that we can um, better uh, evaluate raw materials. And I will tell you there are a number of new products in the pipeline that push our green score and our focus on sustainability uh, to higher levels. So you can look forward to more better products um, in the future. That sounds great. And of course, we wish you all the very best of luck with this work and with those launches. But for now, I have to close off this Sussy talk. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about green chemistry, Christine, which is something that I don't get to learn about every day. And I'm sure some of our listeners don't either. So thank you so much once again. Thank you.